All right, hopefully you met someone, and once you have, you can go ahead and, and take a seat. Um, hey, guys, happy Easter. Um, I'm welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Josiah. Welcome to The Exchange. Uh, this is a wonderful morning for us to celebrate the, the resurrection of Jesus, and we're so excited you guys are here. First things first, yes, I'm wearing a suit, and yes, my wife judge, uh, is, you know, dressed me, so don't judge me. Um, this is her thing. So uh, I just want to say welcome, guys. Again, we're glad you're here. Listen, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so if you would turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one so you can follow along, but 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. So my wife and I grew up in Southern California. We went to church out there. Uh, it's called Calvary Costa Mesa. Our pastor's name was Pastor Chuck. And every Easter, he would do something. He would say, he is risen. And then we would say, he is risen indeed. And so I want to kind of continue that tradition. All right, so he is risen. One more time, he is risen. And yes, he is. And for the last 2,000 years, Christians have gathered together on the first day of the week, on Sunday, to remember that truth, that Jesus is risen. That's why we meet on Sundays. That's why we gather to remember the fact that Jesus is risen. And what does that mean? What does that do for us? What does that change? What does that look like? It means sin has been paid for, death has been conquered, and we too will one day rise. That's what it means. The resurrection means so much. If you think about this, on the cross, Jesus paid for our sin, but the resurrection is the receipt. In a sense, on the cross, our bill of sin was paid for, but how do you know the transaction went through? How do you know it actually worked out? Because of the resurrection. Just like when you pay a bill at a restaurant and they say, here's your receipt, you know the transaction went through. We have the resurrection to say our sins have been paid for. The the transaction went through. Jesus is risen. He is alive. And that's why we meet and that's why we gather. And that's why we're here this Sunday is to celebrate that fact that our sins have been paid for for, and Jesus is risen. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15 and specifically talking about today the end of death. Because Jesus' resurrection also means that we too will one day rise. And we know that his death, that he, his death ended. And so we too, we too now can know that we don't have to fear death. Something called death plagues all of us. And this is no longer something we have to fear. So we're going to be looking at the end of death. And this was something God even told us in the Old Testament. This would happen. That one day death would come to an end. It's Isaiah 25, verse 8, but listen to this. Uh, It says, He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from their faces. God said, one day, one day, this will come to an end. He will swallow death. Paul actually takes this, and we're going to read it in 1 Corinthians 15, that phrase, swallow death, that death is swallowed up. It's gone. That one day he will wipe away all the tears from our faces. We know that Jesus on the cross conquered death. That death was swallowed then. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, it says, The appearing of our Savior Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. By Jesus' appearing, he brought life and he abolished death. And that's what we're going to look at. How the end of death. We're going to see the beginning of the end of death. And so I want to read a passage. I want to read, it's a longer passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, but I think you guys can handle it. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I I would love for you to read through it with us. It's so, so powerful, this text. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's read what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul writes, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, 
and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, who is Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, and they're still alive, but some have fallen asleep, some have died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, Jesus was seen by me as by one born out of due time. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some, some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified because we've testified of God that he has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, all of, we are of all men the most pitiable. Verse 20, but, but now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be defeated, destroyed is death. Verse 40. There are also celestial bodies. There are heavenly bodies. Listen, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial or heavenly is one, and the glory of the terrestrial or the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. The body is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life-giving being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Verse 54. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, through the, who's given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen, before we pray, before we do anything, I'm just going to ask that you guys take 10 seconds, 10 seconds, and I'm going to ask that this morning, say, God, speak to me this morning. Even if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, say, God, speak to me. I want the message of the resurrection to pierce my heart. I want to hear it like it's the first time. So I'm going to give you 10, 15 seconds. Everyone, put away your phone, bow your head, close your eyes, say, God, please speak to me this morning. I want to hear from you. I want to see you, Jesus. Take that time. Father, I just ask that you would speak to me. God, we thank you for this truth that, God, death has been arrested, that the sting of death is gone.
that Jesus, you defeated death on the cross. Lord, I just ask that this Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus, we would not just be those who hear about the resurrection, but we'd be partakers of the resurrection, that though we die, we shall live. That Jesus, we look to you, our hopes in you. We thank you just so much for this fact that we can slow down and remember all that you've done for us, that you've conquered sin and hell and death. God, let this message be fresh to us. Let it be brand new to us. God, we ask that that power would live in us. So move now and speak now, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. You know, I don't know if you've considered this much or, or given this much thought, but death is coming. You are going to die. Happy Easter. Uh, but this is true. And, and I want to talk about the end of death, which is good news. I want to talk about the end of death. But it's important for us to slow down and realize death is coming, that that will, that will plague all of us. You know, honestly, take a second. And for real, take a second. And if you look around this room, sooner or later, everyone will be gone. That there will be no more, like, we're really good at dying. That's like what we do, right? I don't know if you guys know, there's a new stat out. 10 out of 10 people die. That's like everyone will die. All of us will pass away. So, like, sooner or later, we will be forgotten in that sense. Unless Jesus comes back and we pray for that, we'd love to see him come back in that sense. In our lifetime, that'd be great. But all of us will face death. Death is coming. And it's interesting to me because we, as Americans, don't like to talk about death. We try to, like, hide it. When people get sick, we put them in care centers or hospitals. When people die, we put them in cemeteries and they're buried. They're in a box. We put fountains and flowers. We try to make it look pretty. We want to make us completely unaware of death. We don't like to be around it. We don't like to, be, we don't like to talk about it. You know, and this is something I think we have to embrace. You're going to say, why are you doing this? It's Easter. This, this is a Good Friday message. I brought my friend. Why are you doing this right now? Because we have to talk about this. Because, again, this will be our reality. All of us will one day breathe our last breath. All of us will one day stand before the Lord. This is a reality for all of us. And there's really two approaches to death. There's two main approaches. Either we deny death, we, 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 we act like it doesn't happen. We try not to think about it. Again, we, we have morticianers who, who dress people up and put makeup on them when they're dead. I'm like, oh, they look so happy. We try to make it look good. And we try to hide it. We try not to talk about it. We deny it. No one's going to bring up death on like Thanksgiving. Like, oh, by the way, like, we just don't do that. We try, to, we try to remove it from our idea. Or there's another thought. We, be, we befriend death. We kind of act like it's a circle of life. Like, everyone dies. It's a circle of life. Akuna Matata, Lion King. Like, all of us die. It's going to happen. And we try to befriend death. But even this mindset, it doesn't make it, we're not content with that. Even people who don't believe in God, even agnostics or atheists, they're not content with that thought. I mean, here's a couple guys, just philosophers and people who, who, who talk about this. But here's what, what they said. They said, no rational man can die without an uneasy apprehension. No rational man can, man can die without an uneasy apprehension. He who pretends to look upon death without fear lies. Even non-believers know you, you can't look upon death without fear because there's that fear of the unknown. We're not sure, like, does it really just end? How do we know that? And so death is something that plagues all of us, that people are crippled by it. I don't know if you've heard of a few of these guys, but there's a, there's a few guys, and I'm sure you have, uh, John, a guy named John Lennon, right? One of the members of the Beatles. If you guys know, he was assassinated, but a, a few months before he was assassinated, well, John Lennon's actually known for even saying that he was more, more famous than Jesus. He said that. That's a real thing he said. Before he was assassinated, before he was murdered, this guy had such a fear of death. He, he, had such, he became a germaphobe. He would take 18 to, 20 hour, 18 to 20 showers a day. He was just, he's afraid of death. He wanted to sleep with the light on. He didn't want to be alone. He was afraid of death. You know, a guy like Joseph Stalin, right? The dictator who, who ruled over the Soviet Union. I mean, this guy was an evil guy. He's known for probably partaking in the deaths of over 20 million people. But towards the end of his life, he became so afraid of death. He had seven bedrooms in his house. Every night of the week, he would sleep in a different bedroom, not tell anyone which one he was in. He's afraid of assassination. He had five different cars that would drive with him wherever he would go. 
and he wouldn't tell his driver which car he'd go, and he'd just pick a car, a different car, that all drive with him with the curtains drawn. He had a guy with him at all times who would test his tea. He's afraid of dying. He's afraid of death. You know, you have a guy named Howard Hughes. I don't know if you guys remember Howard Hughes, but he was a movie maker and aviator, the movie Aviator of Leonardo. That was about him. He's a, he's a wealthy guy, philanthropist. This guy got so freaked out by death, he became such a germaphobe. He, he lived the last few days of his life in like a hotel room in Vegas, covering his mouth with a Kleenex, wearing Kleenex boxes over his feet and ground his fingernails and long beard. It just became weird. All these guys were afraid of death. And the, the point I think for all of us is all of us have that fear of death. I think at some point in time, people have stopped and slowed down and thought about their death. You know, the, the Bible in the book of James says life is like a vapor. Think about that. It's like a puff of smoke. If you see a puff of smoke, it's here one moment, moment it's gone the next. The life, is just, life is just poof, and it's gone. There's been so many people before us that we can't even name their names or know who they are. There might be so many people after us. So life is just so quick, right? We know this quote. I, I think it's just funny. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, uh, as you guys know, uh, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's tax season. I got to pay my taxes. April 15th is coming. Uh, because nothing can be certain but this. See, death, death is a real reality. It's coming for all of us. And this is something I think we need to talk about. Listen, death is not our friend. If you've been around death recently, if you've seen death, if you've, if you've experienced that personally, maybe years back, whatever it might be, if you've been around it, you know this. You know that death is an intruder, right? Death intrudes on what's happening in your life. Death is not a friend. Death is an enemy. The Bible actually says it in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Death is an enemy. You know, there'll be people who say, don't be afraid of death, it's natural. Others say, don't be afraid of death, it's inevitable. You know what Christians say? Don't be afraid of death because Jesus conquered death. That's why we're not afraid of death. Not because it's natural or inevitable, but because Jesus conquered it. You see, you know what this means in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that this last enemy is death? It means it's okay to be sad when you see death. It's okay when you look at someone or you know someone's passed away and say, this isn't right. This isn't natural. People say all the time, this is natural, it's not natural. We'll talk more about that, but this is not natural. See, death, death is a great enemy of ours. And here's the point, that Jesus conquered death on the cross for us 2,000 years ago, that death is not something we have to fear anymore, that Paul is actually taunting and mocking death because he goes, look, death, you lost. You had so much fame. Everyone knows of you, death, but now you've lost. Where is your sting? And here's what I want to say for us. We know that because Jesus died, we too will one day rise. Amen? That death does not have the final word. And here's what we got to talk about today specifically. And I just feel like for our church, for our people group, for who might be here, just our prayer for you guys, there's a few things about the resurrection, because it's not just about death, it's about the resurrection. A few things about the res resurrection we want to talk about today. A few thoughts. Here's the first one. We're going to look at the proof of the resurrection. The proof of the resurrection. Next thing is this, the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. And lastly, the finality of the resurrection. That death will have the final word. So let's, let's, let's look at this. Let's think about this. The proof of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, the finality of the resurrection. First thing again, the proof of the resurrection. Paul, in verse 3 through 8, we read it. He goes, let me tell you, those who did not believe in Jesus, but then they saw him and now they believe. And Paul is given a list of names and people and circumstances. They didn't just see him once. They saw him multiple times. And Paul wrote this within 20 years of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this would have been spread out. He's saying, talk to them. You can know them. You can, hear their, you can talk to their family members. And, and here's something I want to bring up, and here's why I think this is important. There's this common belief today, I think in like 2018, that we say, oh, people back then were gullible. People back then would believe something like this. They were superstitious. They believed in the supernatural. They would believe things like this. We today, though, are people of reason. 
We today are people of science. We're not going to believe in something like that. They would easily fall for that, but we're not going to fall for that. And when someone says that, that, that just shows they have a misunderstanding. They don't know Greek-Roman uh, background. They don't know the history of it. You know, Greeks and Romans taught this. They taught that the body was basically evil, the spirit was good. Death was really a, like a liberation of the spirit. They thought, like, it's good. When you die, your spirit is liberated. They don't want to believe in a bodily resurrection. They thought, awesome, like, your spirit's now free. They, Greeks and Romans did not have a viewpoint of the resurrection, of a physical resurrection. They didn't believe that. Jews believed in a bodily resurrection, but theirs was at the end of time. Not that one man in the middle of history would rise again. There was no group of people, just here's the point, there is no group of people that would have easily accepted the resurrection. No one would have been like, oh yeah, the resurrection, that's something we believe in. This was counter to their beliefs. This was counter to their culture. This was counter to everything they knew. So, so often people say, this, this was easy for them to believe, it's hard for us. No. This was just as hard it was for them to believe as it is for us today. You see, so you go, what happened? What changed? I'm glad you asked. You want to know what happens? People saw the risen Jesus. See, here, here's honestly how we can even focus on this and look at this, is that there were a group of people who had a worldview, and then one day their worldview completely changed. There's a group of people that had a view about life and death and morality. They had a worldview, and then all of a sudden, their worldview did not just kind of change on the spectrum. It was on the completely different end. They go, oh, wait, there is bodily resurrection. Oh, wait, we've seen him firsthand. And this message of the resurrection began to spread to every nook and cranny of the world. How? Because somebody saw something. Because somebody saw the risen Jesus. This is not just like, oh, again, they would have believed that we don't. It would have been just as hard for them as it would be for us. You see, they saw the risen Jesus. Paul, again, wrote this within 20 years of the resurrection. And this is during the Pax Romana when the travel within the Roman Empire was very easy. That word would spread fast. And they're saying, we saw the risen Jesus. Here are some names. And I love how the Bible even says, like, Simon of Cyrene. They'll give specific names and locations, and you can talk to them about the story of Jesus. You can find them, and you can talk to them. This is something that anyone could ask. And people are saying, well, again, they had to do a question like us. How? I mean, what if this is a hoax? What if they made this up? And they had to sit down and count the cost like we do. We go, wow, well, they're giving their lives for this truth. Their kids are being murdered for this truth. Would these guys make it up and let their kids die in front of their own eyes? I don't know, maybe. And they're trying to think, well, is this a hallucination? Did 500 people have the same hallucination at the same time? I don't know, maybe that's possible, maybe not. I don't think so. And they had to go through the same kind of reasoning we'd go through. Like, what happened to the body of Jesus? Where is it? Did they hide it? They had to ask the same questions we're asking today. And they could talk to people firsthand and say, no, I've seen the risen Jesus. Hey, my dad saw the risen Jesus, but he's not here anymore because they, they killed him. He's dead. You see, this was so life-changing. They, they were willing to be burned at the stake, fed to lions on a daily basis because they saw the risen Jesus. This was so life-changing for them. Again, 12 misfit men who are tax collectors and fishermen and just sinners. These 12 men take this message. They see the risen Jesus. These 500 people see the risen Jesus, and this changed the world as we know it. And we say, how? How can this happen? Because somebody saw something. Somebody saw the risen Jesus. You think about this too, because sometimes I'll talk to people about Jesus and they'll be like, well, I don't believe in the virgin birth or life and death and resurrection of Jesus, but I think his teachings are important. I think his, his teachings are what matters, not his life and what he did matters. Can I tell you, Peter, Mary, Thomas, they had the teachings of Jesus. It really didn't matter for them when Jesus was dead. Can I tell you that when Jesus was dead, they were cowards and they, they hid out of fear, maybe thinking they're next. You see, they had the teachings of Jesus to love people, to, to serve people, to bless people. They had all those things, but did that matter in that moment? The teachings, and I, and I want to be really clear, and like, like, this is blasphemy. No, the teachings of Jesus obviously do matter, but notice that that wasn't the power that changed them. It was having an encounter with the living and true God. It was them seeing Jesus firsthand. They were cowarding at the cross, but they had their Super Bowl after Sunday. 
What changed? They saw the risen Jesus. Again, the gospel is not like someone walks into town and be like, hey guys, we should love each other and do good works. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, what a great idea. I've never thought of that before. I'm going to repent of all my sinful attitude. I never thought about loving people. This is revolutionary. No, the, the power of the gospel is the person of Jesus. The power of the gospel is a firsthand encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Amen? That is the power of the gospel. Yes, there's power in his teachings. They had his teachings, though, and they were cowarding. It was the risen, resurrected Jesus that changed their life. It was encountering Jesus that changed everything about them. Where now Peter, who was once denying Jesus to a little girl, is about to be crucified, and he says, don't crucify me like my Lord, hang me upside down. Peter, who was a coward, now says, I'm going to die, but I can't die like Jesus. That's, that's too good for me. Crucify me upside down. How does that happen unless they saw something? See, oh, I mean, there's countless stories there's countless moments. How does Paul, who was once dragging Christians out of homes to murder them, and he's writing saying, I saw Jesus. Least of all, he appeared to me. I've seen Jesus with my own eyes. I tried to kill you people. Like Paul's writing to the Corinthians. I wanted to end your life, but I've seen the risen Jesus, that God in his infinite grace and mercy and sovereignty would save someone like me, that I've seen Jesus. I mean, we can go story after story of people whose direction their life was changed. And again, we don't understand. I don't think you and I understand this. The first century, the second century, that people say, you talk about Jesus again, you're going to go to that Colosseum. You talk about Jesus again, we're going to dip you in tar and light you on fire. You talk about Jesus again, we're going to feed your children to the lions. Talk about Jesus again. And they're like, I will, because he rose. That didn't stop them. How does, the message, how does this message spread when there's this crazy determination from Nero and other emperors to say, we must end this? And it just spreads like wildfire. How do world, world views change overnight? Somebody saw Jesus. Amen? See, if Jesus rose again, then everything he said about himself is true. If Jesus rose again, then he and the Father are one. If Jesus rose again, then he, he is the resurrection of life, and though you die, you shall live. If Jesus rose again, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. See, if Jesus rose again, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, amen? If Jesus rose again, it changes everything. And, and we might say, but does Jesus agree with me on my worldview of this thought? It doesn't matter. Did Jesus rise again or not? See, that's, that's the question of questions. If Jesus rose again, it changes everything about life. And Paul even says this, if Jesus did not rise, we're the most men pitiable. You should have pity on us. If we rise again, we are spreading false doctrine. You should hate us. You should loathe us. If Jesus did not rise again, we are still dead in our sins. And he says in verse 20 what? He says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. Right? Christ is risen from the dead. You see, Paul's like, you want proof? I'm proof. I want to kill you people. I want nothing to do with Jesus. He, he didn't fulfill the scriptures in the Old Testament the way I thought he should or would. I wanted to kill people like you, but I've encountered him, and I can't deny him anymore. There's something about having an encounter with the risen Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because you've had an encounter with the risen Jesus, amen? That you've tasted and seen the Lord is good. You say, I can't explain this. I was not this way. I, I would never be in church on Easter. I would never be in church on a different day of the week. This isn't me. And you go, it's because you've encountered Jesus. You've encountered the risen Lord. Paul's like, you want proof? I'm proof. Peter's proof. James, his brother, his brother believes in him. Is proof. He's like, there's so, he, talk to them. You ask them. You, you, you search it out yourself. And I'll say this, thinking people need to sit down and ask these questions. People who love to think or ask questions, they need to sit down and think. People had to ask the same questions we asked today, and yet it changed their life. And yet, how, somehow, this message, 2,000 years ago, went to every nook and cranny of the world where people have heard about him from every tribe, every civilization, people from crazy different backgrounds have believed in the risen Jesus. And right now, today, at this moment, all over the world, there are people celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. That here we are in South Florida saying, Jesus is risen. Here we are 2,000 years later saying, Jesus is risen, and there's other people all over the world that are saying the same message. That, that these 12 fishermen, 
these 12 fools, when you read the scriptures, and they're fighting about who's the greatest. And they're saying, Jesus, don't let kids talk to you. Don't let kids come to you. And they're saying, hey, Jesus, should we call on fire from heaven and kill these people? If they're making this stuff up, why do you portray yourself that way? Why do you make yourself look like a giant doofus in every passage? Why are you arguing about which one is the better than the other person? Because this is what happened. This is, this is history. And they say, we have to write it as it is. If you're making this up, why do you say, you know what? It's a really good idea if we're going to make something up. Let's have women be the first eyewitnesses. Because their, their testimony would hold up in court. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> It, see, it goes against all thoughts. It goes against all, all kind of just logic. It goes against because the recording as it happened. This is what we've seen. This is what we've heard. Everyone has to sit down and count this cost. Paul's like, I'm your proof. And then here's number two. Listen, we're going to talk about the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. And that's in verse, again, 22, because I want you to see this in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Again, I said this, but I want you to really hear this. Death is not natural. Adam, in Adam, all die. Adam brought sin into the world, which brought death into the world. When God created the world, that was not his original plan. His his plan wasn't to bring death. Death didn't come until sin. When sin came in, death came in. So Paul's saying, in Adam, all die. And this reminds us that we will die. This reminds us that we don't know the day or the hour. There There could be some in this room this week we might not see next week. We don't know how it works. In Adam, all die. But that was not God's original plan. And God came to redeem that. So just like in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Now here's the transition. Here's what Paul is saying. If Jesus rose again, you too will rise again. He's not just arguing Jesus' resurrection. He's arguing your resurrection. He's saying you too will one day rise. That death does not have the final words. That though you breathe your last, you shall live. And Paul is now arguing our resurrection. Look at verse 20. Again, I'll read this verse to you, but verse 20, it says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Circle that word firstfruits, firstfruits. What is that word firstfruits? Here, here's a simple idea. Uh, in spring, when the trees are blossoming, you might see the first fruit on the tree, especially if you're gardening every day and you're like, wait, is there fruit yet? Is there fruit yet? My wife has some little plants outside. She's like, is there fruit yet? Right? Like, you want to know if there's fruit yet. And you see the first fruit on the tree, you go, oh my gosh, there's fruit. This is a healthy plant, a healthy tree there's a first fruit. That means there's more fruit to come. That means there's going to be more fruit to come after this. Here's the point. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection, meaning there's going to be more resurrections to come. He's the first one, and there's more to come. Because we say, if death is conquered, why do people still die? Because sin still has a hold on us. Jesus came to redeem us, and he will redeem us. He's the first fruits of resurrection. There will be more resurrections to come. Paul is saying, if Jesus rose again, you too will rise, and that means so much. I love verse 49. He says, you've borne the image of the earthly man. You will bear the image of the heavenly man. Do you guys know that? You will bear the image of the heavenly man. We sadly bear the image of Adam. <laughs> I, hope in, I hope in heaven we just give Adam a hug. Like, okay, I forgive. I would have done the same thing, man. Like, I, want, I, I know we're kind of bitter. We bear the image of Adam, but we will also bear the image one day of the heavenly man. You will also have bear the image of Christ. When Jesus rose again, and, and people are like, who is that guy? You know, there's some confusion around. He was in a resurrected body. And I love reading about Jesus when he rose again because he's eating meals with people. We'll eat in heaven, right? He's doing, he's doing phys- it's a bodily, it's a physical resurrection. I love that the disciples are in a room. The Bible makes it really clear. It's in a room, a closed space, and Jesus appears. He teleports, right? He walks through walls. There's two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking with Jesus, and he's like, they, once they have communion or eat bread, they're like, you're Jesus. He teleports in front of them. In Acts 1, he ascends into heaven, he flies. I'm like, yes. I will bear the image of the heavenly man. I bore the image of Adam. I will also bear the image of the heavenly man. And I really do think this is so beautiful because we as Christians value spiritual. We also value physical. We value both. And I think that God came to redeem 
us spiritually and us physically. And this is so encouraging to me for so many reasons. You know, I remember I was speaking at, a, at another church and it's a different youth group, and I was a youth pastor. It was like five years ago, and um, I remember there was a kid in the service who, who he physically couldn't like function. Very, he's all there, very smart kid, very intelligent kid. But during worship, the first few songs, he just he can't control his body, he can't communicate, and you're just watching him during worship. Just he's kind of you know flailing his arms, flailing his legs, just making sounds to God. And if and if you know him, he, this kid loves the Lord dearly. He loves the Lord passionately, and I'm watching worship, and I'm watching this kid flailing, making, he tried with everything he could just to praise Jesus. And as I'm sitting there in the back watching this kid, I go, man, I can't wait to watch him in heaven with his new body. I can't wait to watch him do it clearly and smoothly without jolt, without, just, I can't wait to see him do it. There will be a bodily resurrection. There will be a day we'll be made alive, we'll be born the image of the first Adam, we'll bear the image of the last Adam. You know, I don't know if you guys know jo- Joni Erickson Tata's story. She was, a, you know, like a diver at 17 years old. She dove into a shallow deep of like a lake, and she didn't judge how shallow it was. She broke her neck. She, was, she became a quadriplegic, and she has a ministry now all over the world. She said this about the resurrection. She says, I can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no filling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone spinal cord injured like me, or someone who's cere- uh, cerebral palsied, brain injured, or has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. Paul says it this way, no eye has seen, no ears heard, no mind can even conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. That one day, we t- Jesus rose again, listen, if you believe, you will rise. I love this guy named George Herbert. He said it so beautifully. It was awesome. He says, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. I love that. Death, you'd be like, oh, death, no, it's going to put us in the grave. And now he's like, and I'm a gardener. He puts me in the garden and I come out new. You know, if you look at verse 42, because I want us to read this and see this. Verse 42, just read it with me. He says, so also is there a resurrection of the dead. Listen, the body is sown in, in, in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Do you see how he says four times? It is sown, it is sown, it is sown. Speaking of a seed, you put a seed in the ground, the seed dies, the shell dies, it falls off, and yet life comes out. He goes, it's sown in dishonor, it's to be raised in honor. It's It's sown in corruption, it'll be raised in incorruption. That you and I will have that new body. That we'll see Jesus, we'll see people who, who've never been able to speak or see or walk with Jesus. It'll be so beautiful to see that day. Again, death used to be an executioner, now it's a gardener. Death has no hold on us. Yeah, listen, you too will one day rise. How I, I, again, I'm not, I know I'm not that old. You're like, you're like a baby, I know. I'm not that old, but can I tell you, that the older I get, I'm like, man, I want a new body. <laughs> there's so many things I can't do anymore, right? And you're like, I know, it just gets worse from here. Just, I know, I know. But there's so many things, like, I'm like, I try to, like, play basketball and cross people over, and I break my own ankles. I'm like, ah, I used to break yours, now I break mine. Like, it's just, everything's changing. Everything's changing. I can't wait for that new body. I can't wait for that new body. I'm walking hand in hand with Jesus. No more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Because, again, it's sown. Again, things die before they live. And that's what Paul is saying. Before you see resurrection, there's death. Before we have the resurrection of Sunday, we have the death of Jesus on Friday. Before you and I will rise, there will be the sowing. And yet we'll see life. 
and we have a hope that does not fade. And here's my last point. It's the finality of the resurrection. There is this present reality, but there's this finality. Look at verse 54. Verse 54, it says this. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Isaiah 25, 8, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We see the finality of the resurrection. And here's what I mean by that. For so long, death has had the final word, but no longer. Death used to have the final word. If I think about this room and look in this place, there's so many ambitions and dreams and desires and passions that will die. That won't carry on. There's so many, there's so many hopes. There's so many things you want to see. There's so many lives here, and it will die. But it will not really die if you believe in Jesus. Uh, Paul's like, though you might sting me or though you might bite me, um, I'm going to live on. <laughs> that death does not have the final word. For so long, it seems, it seems that death has the final word, but now Jesus has the final word. You see, I, the thing that I, I want to even talk about and just look at, I love how he says death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. You know, if I put like a piece of pie in front of you, uh, some of you would love that, some of you would hate that, but if I put like a piece of this donut wall back there, if I put that in front of you, um, you could either throw it away, remove it, not, not follow it, or you could swallow it, and it becomes a part of you. And, he, and here's kind of idea. It's not that necessarily suffering's removed, it's that you, it's swallowed, that it produces life. It produces something new. He says, death, where is your sting? That word sting is this word in Greek, it's ketron, but what it really means is where's your poison? It's loosening. Death, where is your poison? Death used to be lethal. The, the word poison there means poison unto death. Death used to be poison. It used to kill people in a, like, finally. But he says, you don't have the poison anymore. The poison's removed. You can still sting me, but the poison's gone. There's, there's a big difference between knowing there's a snake that can bite you and that might hurt, and a snake that can bite you and that will kill you, right? There's a big difference. You're like, oh, that one can bite me. That might hurt. That one can bite me. That will kill me. He goes, this used to be able to kill you. It might be able to sting, it might be able to bite you, but it has no poison anymore. It's removed. It's done. It is finished. It is done. The sting of death is done. And then Paul has this attitude where he mocks it. He's mocking it. He's talking about the thing that we fear the most. And he goes, where's your sting? He's taunting it. He's mocking it. The thing that has ended so many wealthy people, so many powerful people, so many all, fill in the blank. The thing that, the death seems to have all the power. And now Paul is mocking it saying, you have more power. What can you do to me? Though I die, I just live. Though I die, I spring up a new life. You put a seed in the ground, here comes new life. You put me in the ground, here comes new life. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? And that is something I so, I so hope, and I so long for everyone in this room to have that hope and have that peace, that death does not have the final word, that, that death does not have to be something that you're constantly afraid of, that people try to talk you out, don't be afraid of it, it's natural. No, don't be afraid of it, because Jesus conquered it. That is why. See, again, some, again the more I think you and I live and go through life, we realize this is just not our home. It's, it's just weird. Like, when I've, I've, I've been to funerals for my friends in high school. I had a buddy who, who died in a, he's, he's racing, he was speeding someone down the street, and he died in 16 years old. I remember going to his funeral, and I remember looking at him, and I remember they, they dressed him up, and they put makeup, and didn't even look, I just remember looking at his, like, shell and going, this is not it for him. Like, it's not. Like, you know, this, this just does, it doesn't end here. And you see, death still does hurt. There's still a side of death where you look on and go, that still hurts. That's still painful, but the poison's removed. But the poison's gone. The sting of death is gone. That Jesus says, I've conquered that. That thing you fear, it's been conquered. The sting of it, the poison of it, it's gone. 
See, death used to have the final word, doesn't have the final word anymore. Death doesn't have to have this thing that it just hangs over your head, which just causes constant fear. Jesus conquered that. Again, in this world, the more we live, the more we, look at, we go to funerals or a part of those things, or we see caskets that are way too small, and the more you and I see that, we go, this is not the end, this is not it. It might, it might, it might hurt a little bit, but the poison of it's completely gone. That Jesus conquered that grave. That this is not my home. You know, I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this world, and you guys maybe have heard this quote, but it's so good. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we're going through this world, you go, that doesn't satisfy me. That doesn't, I, thought this, I thought this would satisfy me. I thought this relationship would. I thought this thing would. If you go through life and realize nothing satisfies you in this world, it's probably because you're made for another world. It's probably because this is not your true home. It's probably because God made you for heaven. It's probably because God made you for a person and his name is Jesus. That's why there's not satisfaction. Ecclesiastes says God has put eternity into the hearts of men. That there's this eternal void and we go, let me fill it with this physical thing and this temporal thing. But it's an eternal void and only can be satisfied by the eternal. And that is made known through Jesus Christ. He is that eternal one who fills that eternal void. Amen? Jesus said this, and I, I'm so thankful for this. I remember just being a kid and just haunted by that thought. of. And I, I remember reading in John 11, and, and you know this verse well, but it's so powerful, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Hey, this was asked 2,000 years ago, but do you believe this? Do you believe that though you die, you shall live because Jesus is the resurrection life? Do you believe this? He's not just asking them back then. Do you believe this? Do you believe that though you die, you shall live? One of the hardest things I ever had to do, a group of us, like three of us, had to go to um, a boy's house. He's like 13 years old. His name was Matt. Um, as a kid in our youth group, and he got hit one day playing hockey in the head, and he goes to the doctor, and they thought maybe it was a concussion, but the scan revealed, no, that he has a brain tumor. And they didn't know he had a brain tumor. The, the hit in hockey revealed it to him. So he's a brain tumor. The doctor goes, this is a very serious one. You have a few months to live. So some time was going on. It was December, and it was like December 12th or something, like mid-December. And the parents called us and said, hey, can you guys come down? Can a couple guys come down? And um, in a couple days, like on a Saturday morning, we're going to hold um, a, a, a Christmas, like it's going to be Christmas today to him. He wasn't really fully, you know, all, he, he, th he didn't really understand what day it was. And so we show up, I show up, a couple guys show up, they show up with a guitar. It's like December 14th, 15th, something like that. In his mind, it was Christmas morning. He thought it was Christmas morning. He didn't really know what was going on. He thought it was Christmas morning. You know, you see his head being swollen from this tumor. And we're playing worship, and his parents are there, and his sister's there. She's younger than him, and she's just holding him, and everyone's crying. And he's singing to Jesus. And we're watching this, and it's time to share. And I don't even know, what do you say? Like, what do you say at that point? Like, if you're me and you have to, like, okay, now share something, what do you say? And I just looked at him and I said, hey, do you see how much your sister loves you? He goes, yeah. I go, you probably can't even measure the love she has for you. He goes, I probably can't. I go, do you know how much Jesus loves you? He goes, no. I go, we, we can't even measure how much he loves you. And I had to look at him and say, Matt, here's what I know I know that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, shall live. Matt, do you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. He passed away in January a couple weeks later. But the parents had that last moment with him knowing what their son believed, knowing what he thought. Because Jesus rose, you guys, and we will rise. That death does not have the final word. That you and I don't have to be bound or afraid of death because Jesus conquered it for us on our behalf. There is no one like our God. 
There's no one like our God who says, I care about all of you, the spiritual side of you, the physical side of you. I'm going to redeem it all. You're all mine. I'm going to redeem it all. And it'd be wrong for me, not on Easter Sunday, to say, some of you need to believe this. Some of you need to make this known. Some of you, for the first time ever, need to say out loud, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's a resurrection of life, and though I die, I shall live. Some of you need to make that known. Jesus publicly made it known for you and me on the cross. And I believe that for some of you in this room, this is the day where you publicly make it known for Jesus. That he is the resurrection and the life. And though you die, your faith is in him. And so since he rose, you will rise. And do you believe that? I'm going to pray. We're going to have the worship team come up here. But I I do want to give you a minute to respond to that. So let's pray. Church, would you pray with me? Jesus, we just come to you. We're at a loss of words. I can't imagine for a moment what it would have been like for, for Mary or Peter who walked in the grave and didn't see you there. And the doubt and the confusion, all the emotions they must have felt from that. But Lord, we know that their life was forever changed in history as we know it was forever changed from that moment. That Jesus, you are risen, that you are Lord. Jesus, I just ask that you'd be in this place moving and speaking, that this would not just be a message, Jesus, but that, God, you just you bid people to come and live. So, God, be in this place and speak now. And before I say amen, one of my favorite passages in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, I'm pleading with you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. I'm pleading with you. As if God himself were pleading on behalf of me, be right with me. As if God himself was on his knees saying, be right with me. Come to me. Believe in me. I don't know if we view God that way all that time, that he has such a crazy love for us that he's pleading, please be reconciled to me. That he's saying, I want you to believe, I want you to live. I love in the book of Ezekiel where God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, therefore turn and live. That you have a God who is pleading, turn and live. And we just want to give, if there's one person in this place, that opportunity to turn and live, to come up here to believe in Jesus, receive him as their Lord and God. And if there's fear, trust me, they had fear. Trust me, we had fear, but Jesus conquered that. We're going to say, stand your feet and come up here. We just want to pray with you. We'd love for you to receive, believe in Jesus. You know, Jesus said this in Revelation 22. I just want to read it. He says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Come. Come to Jesus. Though you die, you shall live. You're not placing your faith in me or anyone else other than Jesus. It's in Jesus. And so I'm going to be quiet now. Church, I'm going to ask that you guys be praying. We're just going to play a little song. And if if you feel the need to make this known, you feel need to believe in Jesus, we're going to ask that you come in here and I'm just going to pray with you. So church, please just be praying right now. If you are sitting here and you know God is speaking to you and you know this is me and I need to believe and I need to make this known, just do it. Come. God's spirit is speaking to your heart right now saying, come, so come. Don't ignore the voice of God. Do not ignore the voice of God. Today, soften your heart. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. Come. So come now.